Welcome to Primarily 2020, the podcast all about the politics, policies, and personalities of the 2020 Democratic primary. I'm your host, Karen Robinson. So welcome to the uh, seventh Debate Watch episode of Primarily 2020. We're doing it in a slightly different way this week. Emma and I have both not watched any social media or been on Twitter in following the debate. I've worked quite hard to try and, and block some knowledge of what's been going on in the debate so far so that we could watch it um, unfiltered. And then in, so we're going to recap it that way. And then in the second half uh, of the episode, I've got an interview with uh, Kellen Terry from Brandwatch, who has looked at the social media conversation, and he'll be able to fill me in on what I missed by not being on Twitter. Is it good for my mental health to not be on Twitter? Let's find out. Um, So before we go into that, though, a quick news roundup today. Um, There's been quite a lot of primary related news over the course of the week. Um, First and foremost, uh, Cory Booker dropped out of the race just a few days ago. Um, Perhaps not terribly surprising. He hadn't qualified for this debate and it was unclear that he had a path to qualify into any debates in the future. Um, And his polls in in the early states had not been particularly good, particularly in Iowa, even though he has a a very well-respected ground game there. Um, I'm sad to see Corey go. Um, I think he ran a a very interesting campaign. He had uh, some great people working for him. I know and respect some of the people who worked on the Booker campaign. Um, I'm sure that they will continue to to be a valuable contribution to the party in one way or another, as will Cory Booker himself. in other news, Marianne Williamson, who I think we knew was probably going to drop out this time last week, she had fired all of her campaign staff. And shortly after I posted the podcast, she formally left the race. Um, spiritualist and author, no political experience. So I think her departure from the race is a little bit less of a, a shock than uh, perhaps Kamala Harris or Cory Booker's. Um, in other news, um, the impeachment articles this week were forwarded to the Senate from uh, Nancy Pelosi and, Con- and and the House, um, and the House of Representatives. Um, the Nancy Pelosi appointed seven um, impeachment managers to steer the trial, um, including and led by Adam Schiff, who ran the. Um, the Intelligence Committee hearings that uncovered most of the information that the uh, two articles of impeachment are based upon. Um, Pelosi was clear in her statement that she was prioritizing legislative, uh, uh, she was prioritizing litigation abilities in the impeachment managers that she selected. Um, So she is really taking this very seriously as a need to have a trial. Um, The next argument is going to be whether there will in fact be a proper trial in the Senate. Senators have been sworn in by the Chief Justice, um, and they had to swear to act as impartial independent jurors, but Mitch McConnell has explicitly stated that he has no intention of doing so, as has um, Senator Lindsey Graham. They've both said that they're um, hoping to try and push to an early acquittal as as quickly as possible, and um, for that reason, they're going to try and avoid having any witnesses testify, um, despite the fact that Pelosi was able to submit significant new and very damaging evidence um, from the uh, communications with Lev Parnas, um, uh, a Giuliani and Trump associate who's um, been uh, arrested for um, for campaign finance violations and uh, and has been cooperating with police. So there's new evidence in impeachment trial. Impeachment is moving to trial. Um, I think Nancy Pelosi has done a, a brilliant job of of getting it to this point and at least keeping open the possibility that we will have a, a fair and productive trial in the Senate. Um, Sydney, uh, Susan, Susan Collins and a few other Republicans in, in the Senate are signaling that they might want to hear witnesses. It only takes four to do so. So let's see what happens. And finally, we'll talk about this a little bit more in the debate watch um, itself. But most of this week's political news on the Democratic side was dominated by a dispute between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. In a nutshell, what happened was that um, CNN reported that Sanders had told Warren in a private conversation in 2018 that he didn't think a woman could win the presidency. Warren confirmed that that was her recollection of the conversation, and Sanders denied having ever said it. Um, In my Twitter feed, before I turned it off um, so that I could watch the debate pure. Um, There was a lot of 
allegations and counter allegations um, between Sanders and Warren supporters with one side, Sanders side suggesting that Warren had deliberately leaked this information, Warren side um, suggesting that uh, uh, saying that that was not the case. And in any case, um, it was inappropriate for Sanders to say he hadn't said it, blah, blah, blah. There's lots of back and forth, long story short. And we saw that play out in the debate itself um, live in front of the candidate. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. So welcome to this. Oh my goodness, what is it now? Seventh, anyway, last before Iowa uh, <laughs> debate recap. Um, I am here as per usual with Emma Burnell. Say hi, Emma. Hi, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're doing a slightly different format for the debate recap this week because Emma and I have both been um scrupulous to some degree um, in staying off of social media. So we don't know too much of what the conversation around the debate was about. Um, and later on in the episode, I will be speaking to um, someone from Brownwatch who knows everything about what the social media conversation of the debate was like. So um, if you see this episode as as two halves, the first half is our unfiltered reaction. And then in the second half, I'm going to find out what the world thought. So Emma... What did you think? Shall we do that? Uh, shall we do before we do that? Shall we do? Um, this was an Iowa a debate in Iowa. There were just six candidates on uh, the stage. Shall we do our quick thing of? Can we remember who they all were? It should be easy this time. Yeah. Uh, you start. Elizabeth Warren. Bernie Sanders. Uh, Joe Biden. Uh, Tom Steyer. Pete Buttigieg. Amy Klobuchar. There you go. Ding ding ding. Well, it's it's pretty easy with six. Yeah. Emma, was this a, a a good debate for you? Was it informative? Did you learn anything? No, I felt it was quite dull, to be honest. I did not um, get a whole bunch out of it that I hadn't already got. I think the biggest thing was the clashes between Warren and Sanders, um, which oh, I just felt awful. It was like mum and dad arguing. Oh, it was it was so <laughs> awkward. <laughs> Didn't um, like it. Did not like. Uh, so, yeah, I, it, it, it all left a fairly nasty taste in my mouth, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, completely. So for, for my listeners' benefit, I've just had to move the cat off of my desk. So <laughs> if you heard any clutching, scrawling noises, that, scratching noises, that's what that was. I agree. I did not feel this debate was necessary. It It gave me nothing that I didn't have already. However... And in the spirit of there's how we think and there's how the rest of the world thinks, um, this is the last debate before Iowa. And there's some data that suggests voters don't really tune into an election until a couple of weeks before. So for many people, this might be the first and only debate um, yeah, yeah. They watch before voting. From that point of view, in some ways, it's not a bad summary of the debates we've had so far, apart from all the voices who were missing. Yes, Um Oh, didn't you miss Cory Booker? Well, I did in the last debate too, but yes, yeah. I totally miss. I like I miss Cory Booker more than I expected to actually. Mm. I I want him back even even just as like, you know, to hang out with. <laughs> I, I mean in many ways Cory um is at, present by his absence if you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I think he's more present in his absence than he was in his presence. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel it. I feel him not being on the stage. And in a funny sort of way, I felt Andrew Yang's absence too. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was yeah. in the last debate. And I felt him not being on the stage. Everybody on the stage now felt very expected and polished. And kind of Yang and Booker bring that sort of like slight edge of this is something different. And, and yeah, everybody... Yeah, yeah. You know, even Tom Steyer, who nominally is the non-politician on the stage, was just very central I mean, casting. Isn't, yeah, isn't Tom Steyer's whole pitch that while he's not a politician, he's the best politician among them? I mean, that's <coughs> kind of what he's going for. So he is the the cardboard cutout. Kind of. Although I was very struck by Tom Steyer's really weak answer to the foreign policy question um he was asked about why you know being somebody who's never never worked in foreign policy or had any political experience how he's ready to lead and be commander-in-chief i wrote down in my notes he's making the rex tillerson argument he basically said 
I have been a corporate executive traveling around the world. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely not. That is so not what's needed. <laughs> that is not what I am looking for. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, I think Trump's administration is the perfect example of why that is not the way to go. Replacing I mean, corporatism with national interest, not good. I mean, I may be wrong. Uh, I may be misreading the Democratic Party, but I don't see how that's an appeal to his immediate electorate. Yeah, I don't either. It struck me as very tone deaf, um, but possibly the only answer he has, which is maybe why he said it. Yeah, maybe. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, it, 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 again, as, in the sense of it was a good introduction to people who have not been following this debates of what people have been saying, right? Yeah. Buttigieg answered that question with his military experience. Biden answered it with his, you know, work in the Obama administration and kind of defended himself on the Iraq war by saying he helped ended it, which doesn't really get to judgment. Um, it, it was all felt a little bit, hmm, I'm not quite sure about this. Yeah. Sanders, Sanders felt like he was trying to pretend he cares about foreign policy more than he actually does, I suspect. I mean, th this is the fascinating thing. Um, often Sanders is compared with Corbyn um, and uh, given a sense that they have the same politics. But Bernie Sanders is almost entirely internally focused, domestically focused. Yeah. Whereas one of the issues with Corbyn was that he was almost entirely internationally focused and didn't really have domestic politics. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And then, of course, with Corbyn, there's the accusations of anti-Semitism. Bernie Sanders is himself Jewish, yeah. which in some ways gives Sanders more leeway to, mm. as he has done, um, to be speak critical of Israel. Exactly. Yeah. Um, which actually just it plays out better with Sanders. So yeah, I would yeah, yeah, totally, absolutely, hundred percent. Like, when he does it, it comes across as thoughtfully criticizing yeah. your own community, whereas when Corbyn does it, it just comes off really tone deaf. Yeah, absolutely. No, and no, I, I think Sanders had a pretty good debate. Um, as I, said, I didn't like watching him um row with Warren. Yeah. And I didn't think it. it, it I, I don't know. It felt unnecessary for him to go there. Like he should have probably not not being quite so um, vociferous on it. I mean, I know he's defending himself from the accusations that have come out about him um, saying a woman couldn't be president. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> I don't know. It, I, it felt petty. Uh, and I don't want to see that. I, I don't like that side of Bernie. And I love so many other sides of Bernie. Yeah. Yeah. The, <sighs> it, was, it was awkward any which way you, you couch it. Um, I was very struck. So let, let's talk a little bit about the the conversation with Warren. Um, so it, it was all it, we kind of all knew it was coming, right? It was you could see the storm clouds gathering yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the week before. There was clearly going to be some kind of confrontation between the two of them. That being the case, I was watching Elizabeth Warren's face really carefully because Bernie got the question first, and she looked genuinely stricken when he said that she, that what she said happened didn't happen and i was really struck by how genuinely she looked shocked it didn't really look to me like just a strategy i think her feelings were truly hurt have you seen the clip that's been released by cnn about what happened when they um off straight after the debate i know i saw the clip of the handshake that was the only kind of piece of media about the debate that i couldn't avoid yeah um i tried to avoid all the chatter about what it means i just saw it and then looked She's, away. Uh, they've released the audio now <laughs> and she said to him you just called me a liar on national television yeah, yeah. she really was stricken i think she was yeah. really freaked out by that yeah uh, and I will be I will be really curious how that plays out with the electorate, because I have very conflicting feelings about it myself. On the one hand, my so I I I suspect and this is going to sound like I'm trying to, like, sp cut the baby in half. But I have a theory of the conversation that they that they had. I think they probably so this is all based on a 2018 conversation that Sanders and Warren had a private conversation um, in which they met, they talked about apparently a range of issues, and that's the the allegation. Well, allegation, the the claim um, that that Warren is making is that in that conversation, Bernie told her he didn't think a woman could win. He says he never said it. 
I can imagine, based on my knowledge of how conversation works, <laughs> that there is a possibility, a distinct possibility, probably the most likely outcome, that neither of them is lying. They're just remembering what they said with different intonations. Completely. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's absolutely, uh, almost certainly right. And I think, it, I mean, he probably said something that he thought was slightly offhand, but that struck her like an arrow and that yeah. happens to all of us all the time you know things that we say that we think are just stray comments are actually the things that someone completely takes to heart yeah yeah and I mean you know her hearing that in the context of her of her considering her candidacy even if he was just saying it speculatively oh I wonder if a woman can win or there's some doubts about whether a woman could win she would hear that as a as a as a body blow from someone she considers a friend and ally and I would not be surprised yeah that it stayed with her equally considering it's kind of just the sort of stupid conventional wisdom that people pass around about politics mm. I am not surprised if it wouldn't have stuck in Bernie's head so you know we don't none, neither of us know and, and maybe the people in question don't even know what the truth of it is but that's my guess I mean I think the problem with Sanders and Warren is that this is both of their last shot mm. so people who like both of them as I do have to pick a side because we were only going to get one of them yeah. as the nominee ever because neither of them are going to be up for this in four years time yeah I think the, the so there's an interesting dynamic with the two of them where and obviously part of this is because Bernie has already built his movement, right? So he had he's been working since 2016 to turn the support that he had then into a movement in his own name, not mm -hmm. for the party and not for progressivism more generally. Um, so he has very, very loyal supporters. And Warren has always been she's always had loyal supporters of her own, but she's always been more of a party animal. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. In, in, you know, in the sense that she's translated whatever she support support she's had into the party and and kind of drawn from the party and and it's been more that way and as a result her support in the primary is fluctuates much more than his his never goes up that much but it never goes down it's yeah it's yeah yeah stuff. he has both a floor and a ceiling yeah um, and they're very close to each other yeah um whereas she seems to have potentially a much much higher ceiling mm. um but she also seems to have a, a lower floor <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and you know if you look at the way that her numbers have gone up and they've gone down they've gone up and they've gone down um she she doesn't have that rabid loyal supporter group that bernie has but she has more considerers and it's going to be fascinating to see which matters most so one of the interesting things around Warren that I've seen in the numbers lately is an analysis that looks at her support. And you would assume that because she has very high consideration, the highest consideration of, of all the candidates, you would assume that by the time you divide that into second preferences, so you've got your first vote, first choice, and then you can make a second choice, she should be higher when you combine first and second choices. Actually, she drops to fourth place when you do that. And the reason for that is that most of the people who are considering her as a second choice have one of the top tier candidates as their first choice. Mm -hmm. So it's not like she has she's in a position to necessarily reach her majority by pulling together the supporters of all the other candidates, mm -hmm. as as often happens. So it's when... not like Klobuchar, <laughs> Warren is is a big thing. No, <laughs> not a lot of Klo Klobuchar Warren, although maybe maybe more so after last night when they positioned themselves kind of at least in one respect as being aligned. But yeah, but so basically there are in Iowa, you're viable if you get 15 percent of the vote. So mm -hmm. the so, so people who hold on to 15 percent of the vote in Iowa are going to keep their voters. So there's no second choice for them. And it, uh, now I'm going to ask you a technical question that I don't know the answer to. Do then the delegates from Iowa get split up uh, or is it winner takes all? Uh, no, Iowa delegates are split. Okay. And they've changed the way. So you every and in, and in almost all states, this is how it works. Um, de delegates are divided. In fact, delegate math if people wouldn't be too tedi tediously bored, by it, I could do a whole episode on delegate math. <laughs> <laughs> Got to have our running joke. 
I could do a whole episode on it because it's really annoyingly complex. Yeah. Um, it's not it's almost never a winner takes all in any state. It's it's a complicated system. And there are often like delegates one at the state convention, delegates one in the statewide primary, delegates one in the caucus. There's different routes in to winning delegates. And tell me about Democrats abroad, um, which obviously you're a big part of. Um, do they have delegates that go to the convention? Well, yes, Emma, thank you for asking. Democrats Abroad, as an officially licensed state chapter of the U.S. Democratic Party, we have what's called the Global Presidential Primary. Um, and we're very unusual in that we're the only state where all of our voters have a choice of which primary to participate in, because you are free to vote absentee in your own presidential primary. So, for example, if you're an Iowa voter living abroad, I personally, you know, like you actually won't be able to participate in the caucus mm. um, historically, although that's, again, a little more complicated now. They're they're trying to find ways of creating um, overseas uh, caucus locations. So that's that's an innovation for this year. Wow. But traditionally, you wouldn't have been able to participate in a caucus. So you might want to choose to do an crowds abroad. But if you're in New Hampshire, you probably want to vote there. So you have a choice to make. Right. Mm. Um, our caucus, our primary takes place. It's for it lasts a week long, and you can vote in person um, in a country that has a, a voting location, um, or you can vote online, or you can vote by post. Um, so and yeah, so we're we're very busy trying to get all that organized. We're going to have two voting locations, two voting opportunities here in London. Um, one of which is going to be on Super Tuesday. So we quite often get a lot of good media coverage around that. <laughs> um, Man. Yeah, so it's super fun because we're often kind of the first people to vote on Super Tuesday. So it makes a good we 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 are we are here for all of your B-roll needs <laughs> media of the world. <laughs> Fabulous. Um but that's not about the debate. So to come back to the debate, yeah, what sorry. were we saying? Yeah, Warren, Warren, Warren's got a Warren's got a, a challenging uh challenging math. 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 <laughs> um but the whole conversation, so there, all of the buzz that I've kind of dimly aware of around the debate and kind of certainly what stood out for me in the debate was was the Warren Sanders thing. But I was also really having a lot of feelings about Joe Biden in this debate. And I'm I just going to say we're that. going to have the same conversation that we've had after every single debate. Yeah, it just it hurt me this time. I really, I I was really feeling it because there are only six people on the stage now. Yeah. And there it, it more he is clearly the weakest performer on that stage. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think it's arguable. Um, no. And he really was stuttery, uh, doddery. I mean, bless him. It was, it was, it was, you're right. It hurt. It, it's painful. I like him and I don't like yeah. seeing it. It's like watching your grandfather go downhill. It's like, no, please do it's, better. It's like when we watched the last debate together and for the first time we saw the back of his head mm -hmm. and you and I were both like, oh, he's way bolder than he looks from the front. Yeah. And I think it's just like every time he's on, something else gets exposed. And yeah, his performance just was not there at all. He doesn't have an argument. Mm. And that's the other thing. So like on a performative level, he's not doing well. Yeah. On a messaging level, I think everybody else up there came in knowing what they wanted to say. Yeah. Knowing the argument that they were making. And when I imagine Joe Biden, as he was in that debate, standing opposite Donald Trump, I think Donald Trump wins that fight because... Yeah. Donald Trump knows what he's about. And I don't even know what Joe Biden's about. No, and <clears throat> I think his kind of argument is I'm like the nice, sweet version of the old guy um, who's saying, get off my lawn. Yeah. But I just think that people were going to go for the guy who's screaming, get off my lawn. Yeah. <sighs> it's um, I'm worried about it, to be honest, yeah. because... I mean, the data suggests that right now Biden is the one with, with the best chance to beat Trump in the in the polls. My anxiety, and I've said this before, is that people haven't started paying attention yet. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. And and when you look at it, I don't I'm worried about him. I don't know that he's up for it physically, and I, mentally or emotionally. I think that number is people who um, to misquote uh, Josh Lyman 
although he's not playing Josh Lyman when he says this, uh, would have voted for Obama a third time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you, Bradley Woodford. <laughs> Who can come on my podcast anytime. <laughs> there you go. It's your invite now. Yeah. <laughs> I got in so much trouble <laughs> saying that last time. <laughs> Emma's inviting people onto my podcast. Bradley Whitford is genuinely welcome anytime. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so, know, you know, if he happens to be around. <laughs> Should we just make a list of people who would be welcome? The cast of the West Wing. <laughs> most of the, um, oh yeah, yeah, pretty much the cast of the West Wing. <laughs> there you go. Um, Biden, yeah, so Biden was very weak. Um, what about Buttigieg? I didn't feel he had the best debate I've seen him have. Um, again, he felt a little hesitant um, and less strident than I've seen him be. Um, maybe it was partly because they thought <laughs> was attacking him less, that he had less opportunity to go, no, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I thought he, I actually thought he had a pretty good debate. I just also felt he was having a different debate than everybody else on that stage. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That maybe like, that's it. <laughs> he was kind of delivering effectively the points he wanted to make, and nobody was attacking him, and he wasn't attacking anyone. So it was kind of like I'm just here doing my speeches, and they're yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly it. it. Like it didn't feel like it caught. There was no um, tension. Yeah, yeah. But maybe maybe that's fine for him. Maybe his strategy is let the others find it out and be the last man standing. I don't know. Klobuchar. Uh, I mean, Klobuchar did her Klobuchar thing. Um, I actually find her more and more charming, um, but I also don't really know what she's doing there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, she was fine. Yeah, exactly. And she's funny. Yeah. Like, like I feel like I know her better now. Yeah. Um, but I still feel like she's just going to be a senator at the end of the day. She's not going to be the presidential nominee. Well, let's talk about the funny thing, because actually I was very struck in terms of the affect of the two female candidates on the stage last night um, or Tuesday night. <laughs> um, I have been slightly critical of Elizabeth Warren recently because her affect, not so much on debates, but more on the campaign trail is kind of sometimes goofy, um, which I, I find like the goofy. I find it personally charming, but I've been wondering how presidential it looks. Mm. Last night, she was very somber and mm. I didn't get the kind of goofy um, Elizabeth Warren I'm used to, not even the kind of smiling, warm, empathetic Elizabeth Warren that I'm used to. It looked to me like she was having some feelings about some things that were hard. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and and Amy Klobuchar, on the other hand, was the funniest I've ever seen her. Oh, she, I mean, she is funny. She's just generally naturally funny. Yeah. Um, and I think we kind of written her off at most of the other debates, just kind of going, oh yeah, whatever. But She's still in there and she's still going for it. And, you know, I don't think she's going to end up as the nominee, but my God, she's raised her profile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, I mean, she's impressive. Um, I think I, I'm still, I'm still disappointed that we've lost two other senators in um, Booker and, and Kamala Harris, mm. who I probably would have liked to see more from than I want to see more of from Klobuchar. Yeah. Because I felt like they both had interesting things to say, but I like what Klobuchar has to say. I think she's, she's, again, she's got some points. Um yeah, I mean, I think she's always in the tricky position of arguing for moderation with passion doesn't feel quite right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, she was fine. I enjoyed her. <laughs> I don't think so. Tom Steyer, who we mentioned briefly earlier, he only very recently qualified for the debate. Um, he made it on to the debate roster. I mean, only in the kind of week before, I think, by qualifying for some South Carolina polls. Um, did you have a sense of why he was on that stage? No, I still don't know what he's up to, what he's about, um, other than, hey, I'm really rich uh, and therefore I should get everything I want. Um, yeah. I just, I mean, he seems like a nice enough guy. Like, and I'm glad that he's doing good things with his money. But honestly, if you were going to spend that kind of money on the Democratic primary, spend it on a better candidate yeah. rather than putting yourself forward and thinking that, that because you have all that money, you are entitled to it. 
I mean, one thing that came out this week, um, there was an absolutely brilliant uh, report from uh, Rachel Maddow at MSNBC where she looks at advertising expenditure. Mm. And she looks at the entire, leave aside the two billionaires, look at the entire race combined, including Donald Trump. Now double the amount of money all of them have spent. And that's how much Tom Steyer has spent. He spent $64 million dollars on advertising. I mean, what could you do with $64 million? You could actually, like, make a difference to climate change. You could make such a huge difference, even if you were just spending it on advertising, right? You could make such a difference in people's lives. Okay, so Steyer spent more than all the other candidates together. But here's the punchline. Mike Bloomberg spent more than all the other candidates except for him. He spent twice as much again, more than... And he wasn't on the stage. And he wasn't even on the stage because he's not competing in the early states. He is making a bet that he can buy his way straight to the nomination. Straight to Super Tuesday. He's skipping Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, um, Nevada. It's. I mean, it's so disrespectful. It is. It's rude. And like, I actually, as a voter, I find it rude. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a voter, sadly, um, despite (laughs) being registered in 90210. Uh, (laughs) Not registered to vote, I hasten to add. Signed yeah. up for email lists. Emma is not committing electoral fraud, I promise. I really, really am not, much <laughs> as I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, so we have a billionaire problem. Um, and I, I do feel like every time Tom Steyer, every time the camera pans to Tom, Tom Steyer, I feel like he validates every argument that uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are making about yeah. our problem as a country with billionaires. Because it's not about whether you're a good or a bad person. It's about what is the appropriate amount of power for someone to have based on their wealth. And not this much would be my answer. <laughs> That's exactly it. It's like, um, they. It, I, I completely agree. He, or, he on that stage is a vision of what is wrong with American society. And that's without being a bad person. Exactly. It doesn't matter. He could be the worst person in the world. He could be the best person in the world. The point is, he's brought his way onto that stage and nobody should be able to do that. This is not how democracy works. Yeah. So that was a struggle. So I guess on the whole, I came away from the debate kind of depressed, actually, (laughs) kind of kind of down. Um, for all of the reasons that we've just talked about, I, I missed the people who were not on the stage. I had doubts about the people who were on the stage. Um, I know that I, I kind of go with a be not afraid philosophy to the to the campaign, but um, I just I didn't feel inspired by what happened on that stage. No, I just think it's getting I mean, I'm really looking forward to the voting actually starting so that we can have a different conversation than, oh, dear, Joe Biden was a bit disappointing it's not fun to see Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders fighting. Um, yeah. Who the hell is Tom Steyer? <laughs> yeah. Let's move along. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, well, I was not that long off third of February and uh, it's all going to change a gear. So, so we'll see what happens. Um, any other, any, so any final, before we move on to the gut check game, any final thoughts? What was your kind of, if you had to sum up in one sentence the key the key of this debate, what would it be? Tetchy. Tetchy. One word. Good. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna also go with one word and go meh. Yeah. Tetchy and meh, which is an interesting combination. Yeah. <laughs> Tetchy. Meh. Meh. <laughs> there you go. Let's play the gut check game, shall we? Absolutely. No, I should say I struggled with the gut check game because I didn't think there were that many interesting quotes. Um, but uh, I have in my trusty Red Sox baseball cap a few um, quotes you that I will be a liar on national television. That was the best quote. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't in the debate. So <laughs> harsh, painful. Um, so I have here in my trusty Red Sox baseball cap a few uh, quotes that was uh, that were that were spoken in the debate. I'm going to randomly pull them out of a hat and read them out, and we'll just react. I've only got kind of a few, so we'll just do three. Okay. Um, oh, here's one from Warren. She says, "Look at the men on this stage. Collectively, they have lost ten elections. The only people who on this stage who have never lost an election are Amy and me." Yep. She came to play, didn't she? She was not having it this time. The girl prepares. Yeah. yeah. She's got a plan for that. She's got a plan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, and I thought it was really interesting her bringing in Amy as her um, ally because obviously they're quite different politically. Yeah, yeah, they are. But they were actually very, very warm to each other last night. They were. I, I do think they they each had a slight kind of last woman standing empathy going on. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think it was it was interesting because. So she said that and she said another part of the quote, which I didn't include, was she was talking about, I'm the only one who's won against an incumbent uh, Republican in the last 30 years. Yeah, And then then Bernie jumped in. He was like, well, I've won against an incumbent. And she was like, but wasn't it 30 years ago? (laughs) And they had this little back and forth where he was like, he was like, yeah, but I've won. And she was like, but I said in the last 30 years. And he was like, well, you know, I'm just saying it was, you know, 30 years ago I won. I was like, well. What was the point of that? That was a waste yeah, right. of our time. Thirty years ago, people were wearing flares, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but I think again, Warren was feeling a little bit mansplained to there. Yeah, and Bernie really, really needs to watch that um, yeah. because he doesn't need to do it. No, it's uh, but I mean, I think so. We haven't talked yet in this podcast, um, in this episode, about the Bernie supporter problem. Uh, I mean, I like Bernie so much more than I like Bernie's fans. Yeah. (laughs) As a net aggregate, I should say, he has some wonderful fans who are really good people who believe in the future of this country and and want to change the world to make it better and and who I respect and admire. And then he has some fans who are dicks. Yeah. Yeah. Have and are dicks. Twitter does not bring out the best in any of us. We all know this. But seriously, guys. And I guess the question that always comes back is, you know, to what extent is a campaign responsible for the behavior of its supporters? Um, and it's a tricky one because everybody, everybody has fans who are dicks, right? It's, yeah. People misread and misinterpret what you're doing and they can be assholes about it. But at the same time, you do need to send stern signals to your own supporters of what you expect from them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very influenced by, you know, having worked on the Obama campaign. I remember that, you know, even when I was on staff for Obama, uh, we spent a lot of time receiving instructions about how to manage over exuberance from our supporter base. For example, yeah, yeah, yeah. when Sarah Palin was nominated, um, we were told do not engage, like steer away from any criticisms of her based on her personal, based on her personal life and personal story. And they, and we were actually told, for example, when Bristol Palin was, was discovered to be pregnant, they were like, stay away from that story. Don't talk about it. Remind people that Barack himself is the product of a teenage, teenage unwed mother. Oh no, she was, she was married, but this is the product of a teenage pregnancy that there's no shame in it. Just move along. Don't, don't completely. And I just, I would love to know what message Sanders staffers and kind of lead volunteers are getting about how to engage with Warren. Because it feels like they've been signaled that she's fair game. Mm. And I, I honestly don't think it helps <laughs> them to attack her like that. It, it, it just goes against the brand. And I think they could do so much better by being better. And the fact that he comes that he comes for her in a similar way to how he came for Hillary Clinton, even yeah. though they are such different yeah. people, makes it feel more like it's about like it's about her gender, yeah. Which may not even be true. I'm not even necessarily making that accusation for Bernie personally, although it's definitely true for some of his fans. Yes, <laughs> yeah, because Elizabeth Warren essentially has Bernie's politics and boobs. Um, you know, and actually that's okay. <laughs> I mean, I would dispute that a little bit. Her politics are, you know, they're coming from a slightly different place, but but they are I close, close allies. Differently, but I don't think her politics are actually, when you dig down into it, they're not that different. She frames it as, I believe in capitalism, I just want to reform it. He says it's socialism. But actually, when you dig down to what they do, there isn't that big a difference. I think they come f- they come to their politics through a different route and the different route that they came to their politics from makes it different Um, in that she comes from, first of all, from a kind of Midwestern cultural background um, and she's been through, 
you know, a different set of life experiences. And then she's been in academia. So she comes to it from a, a policy background and having close family members who are Republicans. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And having been Republican herself when she was younger, before she kind of became politically active, she's on a very different journey. And so she has a, I feel like she has more appreciation for the necessity of bringing people with you on a journey, which is why she's more coalition building to me. Whereas Bernie is movement building, but not coalition building. And those two things are are important and distinct. That That's perfectly fair. <laughs> anyway, that was a little bit in the weeds. Oh, but, oh, what were we doing? We're in the middle of the gotcha game. Okay. <laughs> um, so here's a good one. This was an exchange between um, Biden and, uh, and and an interjection from with from Sanders. Biden was uh, talking about the uh, um, Kim from from North Korea, and he was asked whether he would meet with him. He says, "No, um, I wouldn't meet with someone who called me a rabbit dog who should be beaten with a stick." And then Sanders interjected and said, "But other th- other than that, you like him," <laughs> and it was quite funny. <laughs> Yeah, see, that's the Sanders I really like. He is funny. Yeah. Uh, you, it, 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 he did the same thing at the last debate. He had a fun little interjection. Um, I think it was, um, I can't remember what it was, but he, yeah, he just said something very similar, kind of like that, but apart from that, Mr. President, how was the play kind of stuff. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I mean, Sanders is, you know, often sharp and funny and witty and, um and I, last night, my husband, I, I watched the debate and then came upstairs to go to bed and my husband was like, well, who won? I said, well, I haven't done hard. I don't know who won. I said, you know what? Probably Sanders. Because mm-hmm. I felt that he had, he was, he's been in a good position in the polls. He had a sharp debate. Biden's weakness, I think, makes, makes Sanders look better. And... I think on the whole, it probably came out the best for him. But I don't know if that's how other people will see it. I haven't seen any polling, so I don't know um, how it's been received. Well, I have seen some polling. Um, And would you like me to tell you? Please do. Okay, so I looked at the 538. 538 has a um, panel that they're doing where they track reactions to, well, they track before and after um, debates. Uh, reactions and they're looking at things like changes in favorability and changes in consideration and the person who had the best debate in terms of changes in favorability and changes in consideration was warren oh my gal yeah it wasn't um it wasn't a huge bump but she was because she she moved um she outpaced her her favorability outpaced um uh uh, it moved forward and so did her so did her consideration so um and sanders actually went down slightly well, so I, then i think a lot of people had the same reaction <laughs> we did that you yeah. know he didn't have to behave like that yeah yeah it, it, it feels like even though i wasn't sure in the moment in watching it it feels like actually people read that as him being inappropriate and, yeah and, and she got the better of that exchange and, and she then, came yeah, he can be very gallant, so being ungallant really doesn't suit him. Yeah, yeah, quite. Okay, one last one. Word, isn't it? You'd never call a woman gallant. That's interesting, isn't it? Ah, sorry, Gen- that was completely random, but that's gender that's just... everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gallant. You're absolutely right. Because when women do behaviours that in men would be called gallant. In women, it's read as caregiving. Yeah. Which isn't gallantry, it's just normal for women. Yeah. Gender sucks, man. (laughs) That's some complicated shit. Right? (laughs) Right? Okay, one last one. Um, And I'm embarrassed to say, I can't even remember what led into this, but Tom Steyer was talking about something or other, some policy issue or other, and then he pivoted to say the sentence, that's why I'm for term limits. Um, Check your gut, Emma. What do you think about that? I see. I I have really complicated feelings about term limits because I kind of think it's a good idea in general that you clear the guttering, as it were. But you also lose out on people with enormous amounts of experience. Yeah. So, absolutely. I think. 
I'm one of those people who, when I was younger, might have might have been favorable towards mm. term limits. I'm strongly against them now. Um, and particularly hearing those words come out of Tom Steyer's mouth really made me go, oh, hold on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, at what point do we limit you being a millionaire who can buy your way into a Democratic killer primary? <laughs> yeah, it was it was a bit like, hang on, you would like to limit people's ability to accrue political power. Mm. But you don't want to limit your ability to accrue political power through wealth. It was just... See the, the the way that the way that the way that Congress works, particularly, for example, is that you at, the longer you're in Congress, the more seniority you accrue. By accru- accruing seniority, you you get power. You get things like committee chairmanships, and committee chairs are very powerful individuals who are able to really kind of lead conversations, um, lead investigations. Well, as we're about to see. Sorry. As we're about to see. As we're about to see. Um, and in many other ways, seniority comes with kind of the privileges of power. So if you're going to argue for term limits when nobody then has those powers, then what are you suggesting? Are you mm-hmm. suggesting a system in which committee chairs are arbitrarily assigned, assigned by favoritism, assigned, like, what's your what's your proposal? And I'm pretty sure Tom Steyer hasn't given that one second's thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um you know, and I think it's it's I think there is some value in having people who make their career dedicated to being in a legislature, working within that legislator's institutions and not necessarily looking to leave in five years time and go take a corporate job or run for president instead. I think it's good to have people who make Congress their life's work and their career and their mission and and believe in it. And, you know, th- that option should be open to people. Yeah, I mean, I, there are issues <laughs> about shaking things up, um, which is harder to do when you've just got the same people there all the time. Um, and so I, I, I'm, I'm open to an argument. I'm not open to it from Tom Steyer. Yeah. <laughs> it, it certainly needs to be more than a one-line throwaway in a debate. Yeah. There are a lot of questions that come around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Emma, thank you so much. It thank you. Been- delightful and uh when we post this it will also include um our social media roundup so we'll by then know what other people thought (laughs) yay (laughs) i'll talk to you soon So I want to welcome Kellen Terry from uh, the company Brandwatch uh, onto the podcast right now. Um, Kellen is going to fill in the missing half of the conversation. Emma and I have obviously watched the podcast, watched the vid- watched the debate without um, knowing what anybody else thought about it. Um, but Kellen has been watching what everyone else has been saying, um, and he's able to give us some insights into what the social media conversation around the debate looked like. So. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm really interested to hear what you have to say. So um, to start things off, who, do, who attracted the most conversation? Which candidate felt like um, the one who was driving the most discussion during the debate and, and kind of why? Absolutely. So the person who was being mentioned the most on social media, specifically Twitter, if we're being honest, uh, in public Twitter rather, um, was Bernie Sanders. Uh, This isn't really a surprise. I did a lot of analysis around the last US election cycle back in 2015 and 16. And when we were looking at the democratic side of things, uh, Bernie Sanders' Twitter conversation during debates or just in general would always blow other candidates out of the water just in terms of sheer volume. Now, there were some anomalies in the data that occurred in the 2015-2016 election uh, that made me think that something was up. But as far as pure volume uh, figures, Bernie Sanders has always, generally speaking, led the way. And he did for Iowa. And so just to characterize this conversation, this is typically Sanders supporters um, chiming in to basically support and reinforce what he's saying in the debate or... Um, criticize other candidates? Like, what's the tenor of the Sanders conversation? Absolutely. So in 2015, 2016, it was strictly supporters. Uh, I think that that is largely the case this year as well. However, this year, as I noticed, as I was going through the analysis, we are seeing a, a bit more detractors. And if I'm being honest, it looks like those detractors are coming from the other side of the aisle. Um, so I did note the Republican side of the aisle. I, I, yes, the Republican side. Um, 
they were, I think that they're already trying to, to target Bernie um, because they think that he could and might win the, the Democratic nomination. So I think that they're already trying to, to you know, speak poorly of him, that type of thing. Um, because as I witnessed, and we might touch on this a little bit more in depth later, when I was looking at the sentiment of each candidate's conversation who participated in the Iowa debate, no one had a positive conversation. And I think that speaks to a much larger uh, type of trend that we're seeing in politics. But I think also in maybe a smaller level, it's, it's, it's just you know Republicans and, and Trump supporters realizing that these are the people that Trump could potentially run against and they're trying to kind of infiltrate their conversations already. That's so interesting because it makes me feel much better about my decision to stay off of Twitter during the debate. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Twitter Absolutely. is a trash fire, this just in. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that if I'm being honest. I, I think Twitter's the best place for, for real-time conversation. Yeah. It just so happens that there are some people out there who are a little bit nefarious. And I yeah. think that that's kind of a trend that we see in larger general tech. Uh, I think tech always means well, but just some people yeah. will will not use it as such. I think that's fair. And I'm, I'm actually slightly being facetious because I think negative polarization, as we've talked about in this podcast a lot, mm. um, is a factor that's driving not just political conversation on social media, but voting behaviors across the country mm. on both sides of the aisle. And so you would expect to see it playing out on social media just as well, which is exactly what your data is saying. Absolutely. So if Sanders was generating the most conversation, okay, so who was, who was next in line? So uh, next in line, and I, again, I think that this kind of, you could see this coming, was Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, top three was Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, followed by Elizabeth Warren. And then right. there was, generally speaking, a large drop off in terms of volume figures. So just within the, the two hours and 10 minutes of the actual debate, uh, Bernie Sanders was mentioned over 1.7 million times. Um, Joe Biden was mentioned over 1.4 million times and Elizabeth Warren was mentioned over 1.3 million times. And then after that, the next closest uh, candidate was Amy Klobuchar uh, and she only saw roughly 625,000 mentions in the two hours and 10 minutes. Interesting, but it's interesting that Klobuchar over Buttigieg, who in the polls you would think would, would, it would be attracting more conversation, but it sounds like Klobuchar had the better night. For sure. From a conversation it, point of view. It, it does, yes. Um, and but uh, there's a part of me that wonders that if if of Mayor Pete, so to speak, he didn't get as many mentions simply because people find his last name hard to spell. Uh, <laughs> uh, because at the end of the day, and, and I, I try to account for for this type of thing when I write queries to look at social conversations. I try to I try to account for misspellings. I try to account for nicknames and, and hashtags and, and relevant sort of related key keyword search terms. <laughs> but Oh my uh, gosh, I love that data problem. Oh, so it's, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Boot edge edge. Yes. edge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think some people still don't know how to pronounce the name fully, but but yes, I, I think that it does speak a little bit. Um, I think it kind of also speaks to his candor a little bit. He was, he seemed very calm and collected throughout the entire debate. And some people tune into debates not to see that. They wanna see the fiery exchanges. They wanna see someone, you know, uh, speaking very passionately and things like that, where, where Buttigieg, he, he just, he maintained, you know, composure right. the entire time. I, I think a, a good example of this now is if you look at the media coverage of the debate, like a debate happened, you had six presidential candidates on a stage debating for over two hours. And now a lot of the meeting, or uh, excuse me, a, a lot of the media is now focusing in on, you know, the, the handshake uh, snub between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Um, so I think, you know, some people do turn, tune into debates to, yeah. to see those fiery exchanges for sure. Well, I think that that leads nicely onto what my next question was going to be, which is, mm -hmm. according to Twitter, what were yes. the main moments of the debate? So the number one moment belonged to Elizabeth Warren. And her, her conversation, because we can, uh, with Brandwatch, we can track <laughs> minute by minute mentions of each candidate. Uh, Elizabeth Warren's conversation really took off when she dropped the line, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have it written down uh, word for word, when she dropped the line about how the only two people on that stage who had never been defeated in any election uh, were the women. 
Uh, I've got the line in front of me. I can read oh, it to you. Fantastic. Because I was, I wrote it down for when I was watching. Look at the men on this stage. Collectively, they've lost ten elections. The only people who have never lost an election are Amy and me. That is correct. That 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 line caused uh, Warren's conversation to skyrocket. Um, it was the it was the highest peak of the overall debate amongst every single candidate. And then it was the highest, when we look at candidate conversations individually, uh, one at a time, uh, no candidate had a moment that received more mentions in a single moment than that. And, and that was really it. That's interesting because that's, you know, we talk about people loving conflict, but actually, mm. although that was part of the conflict with Sanders, it wasn't the most confrontational moment necessarily of that conversation. Um, it was more of a kind of argument for um, for herself and for for Klobuchar as candidates. So, Correct. what was the tenor of the conversation around that moment? What were people saying about it? Uh, I, I think a lot of people were celebrating it. If I'm mm -hmm. being honest, it, it, it did appear to be mostly women who were celebrating it. Mm -hmm. uh, you see a lot of internet Hello, slang. Ladies. Yes, well, you see a lot of internet slang like "yas queen" and that type of stuff. <laughs> uh, so, it's a meme game for sure. And and I think that even if we can go beyond politics, if we can if we can look at brands politicians, whomever, if they can realize that that memes and humor drive the internet and they can make fun of themselves a little bit, I think that they would see a vast, you know, improvement in their social conversations, uh, both in terms of volume and sentiment. Uh, yeah. So yeah, the memification of that moment was was a real thing. And I think it helped cause it be the most, you know, the most significant moment of the entire debate. Interesting. Um, I want to come back to, um, you mentioned Biden was the second most discussed person. Yes. He wasn't at the center of any of the major controversies around the debate necessarily. Correct. Um, he wasn't part of that Warren Sanders moment. So what was the tenor of the Joe Biden conversation? So it's interesting because a lot of people, especially post-debate in analysis, think that Joe Biden was just being lobbed, and I'll use terms that they were using, softballs, uh, and that they weren't really attacking him. Um, so I think that you see Joe Biden's conversation is, yes, a lot of his supporters, um, but also a lot of people who had like questions about why why Joe Biden isn't being asked this, and why isn't Joe Biden, Joe Biden being asked that, uh, so on and so forth. So there is a, a little bit more, there are a few more detractors in his conversation, if I'm being honest. Right. But if we look at each individual candidate's conversation individually, Joe Biden is just, there's not very many peaks and valleys in his conversation. It's, it's just simply kind of constant and always there. Interesting. So steady, um, slow yes. and steady, but maybe kind of, do, do you feel like the people who are suggesting that Biden is getting softballs, are they supporters of other candidates or are they just frustrated because they feel like he's a front runner? Uh, I think that they're absolutely supporters of other candidates. And I think that it, it's a combination of the two. They're absolutely supporters <laughs> of other candidates and they 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 are frustrated that he is a front runner. Right. Um, so that is definitely something that I've I've witnessed to kind of go back to the conversation sentiment of all of the candidates. There's no positive conversation amongst any of them, simply because I think now it, it's not enough to say that you support a certain candidate. You also have to dislike and kind of proactively trash candidates who are not your candidate. Um, we saw this trend emerge during the last U.S. election cycle. It wasn't there at the very beginning. Um, but I remember very specifically when the Republican candidates last election cycle, because you may remember that I believe the field at one point uh, during the 2015-2016 uh, election cycle back, in, you know, back then was 18 Republican candidates, mm -hmm. I believe, at one point. Um, when it was getting towards the end of the road and it was it was, you know, four or five candidates left and all signs were really pointing to Trump. Um, people were, people, Trump especially was calling for John Kasich to get out of the race. Kasich, get out of the race. You haven't won any, uh, any primaries in any states except for your own. Um, get out, get out, get out, get out. Mm -hmm. The very next debate, I saw John Kasich's conversation, which was <laughs> mostly positive all the time. And I think that he, he actively tried to he actively tried to stay above, you know, the, the more vitriol rhetoric. I think that 
well, I, I saw that his conversation was overwhelmingly negative after that debate, whatever, whichever one it was. And that was simply because many Trump supporters, you know, they took the cue from the person that they supported. And all that they did was called for John Kasich to drop out, get out of the way, get out of the race. What are you still doing here? You haven't won anything. Um, and I think that attitude is now kind of permeated all of politics, if I'm being honest. Right. So when I look at the sentiments of all of these candidates, not a single one is positive. And that's not saying they don't have supporters. They certainly do. But their supporters will actively go out and start talking poorly of other candidates simply because they're not their personal candidate choice. That's so interesting. So the negative polarization, which exists across party lines, is also mm -hmm. showing up as a behavior even within the, par the, the both parties' primary act. Absolutely. And I think that you see that with candidates. Like the, they try to, for lack of a better term, they try to out-left each other. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like, no, I can be more left than you and I can be more left than you. And well, I'm a moderate and no, who's a moderate these days, that type of thing. Um, I, I think supporters of all these candidates want a solution to a problem in their minds, uh, but they're fighting about how to get there. Right, right. They're all trying to solve the same thing. They just can't agree on how to do it. Interesting. Very interesting. Was there anything else in the debate that surprised you that you didn't expect online? Uh, something, nothing overly surprising, if I'm being honest. I was looking for those data anomalies that I witnessed during the last election cycle, um, and I didn't see any of those. Uh, I did think that it was, it was kind of interesting that Andrew Yang, even though he wasn't on, uh, on the debate stage, he he you know his there was a hashtag that was in support of andrew yang uh that made yang it yang. yeah well, <laughs> well it was america needs yang uh and it was it was amongst the 10 most used hashtags within the conversations of all the candidates who were on stage so i think that 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 if nothing else shows that andrew yang has has a a strong social media following and support group as well um so that, that was interesting to me um, because I always think it's, it's, it's interesting when a candidate who actually isn't partaking, into the, uh, partaking in the debate due to you know, not having enough donors or, or, or what have you, um, when they can make some sort of a social splash while not being directly involved, I think that that's somewhat significant as well. Yeah, it feels like it feels like what the theme of this conversation is that the social media conversation very much is about the behaviors mm. of the super keen supporters of the of, yes. of any particular candidate. Quite often negative negative polarization around not just defending my candidate but but attacking others. Mm -hmm. Yang Gang, how, were they was their conversation also positive or were, was it also negative or was it more positive? So we didn't have that data on hand because we find the best way to track these debates is, is not to look at, you know, the Dem debate hashtag because you're going to miss a lot of mentions that way. Sure. Um, so the way we track this debate is we, we wrote a query, uh, a keyword based query around every candidate. And we've, mm -hmm. we truly have every candidate. We have 30 ish queries, even of the candidates who have suspended their campaigns or, or have dropped out. Um, but we find for debates or any live events such as this to only kind of group together the queries or the candidates in this case uh, and, and track them who are actually participating in the debate. So to have Andrew, to have a, a Yang supporting hashtag show up in this conversation without even looking for a single mention uh, of Andrew Yang, I think is, is pretty significant. So very uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and you know, the, the hashtag speaks for itself. America needs Yang. <laughs> uh, it, it would have been overly positive. You can see what they're trying to do there. For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> um, data question for you, because you said yes. Buttigieg maybe doesn't make it into as much as he might potentially deserve because people might be misspelling his name a lot. For sure. Yang is relatively easy to spell, yes. but pretty unique. So maybe he's, uh, he's well represented with in terms of accuracy in the data. Absolutely. And if I'm being honest, he's got a great, he's got a great hashtag to go. Yang gang just yeah. works. People love it. Um, it's short. It's short. It's sweet. It's, it's, you know, it makes you feel a part of something. And I think if we're also being honest, like Andrew Yang, I think was very smart with, he announced that Dave Chappelle, the comedian uh, endorsed him uh, several hours before the debate. And that's not a mistake. They, they yeah. held on to that for the debate day, even though he wasn't going to be in it to make sure that he was still in the headlines and he was trending on Twitter for it. So, I mean, that, that's, that's not a mistake. That's very much calculated. Did any of the other candidates who were on stage have any particularly pithy or on point hashtags that we need to know about? 
Um, so uh, yes, actually. Uh, so Bernie Sanders uh, saw a lot of hashtags. Um, and one of them was women for Bernie. And I can't help but, and one was women for Bernie. Another one was I trust Bernie. And mm -hmm. I can't help but feel like these are probably in response <laughs> to the media stories that came out between the disputed exchange between him and Elizabeth Warren uh, that allegedly occurred in 2018. Sure, so, they were probably ready for that. Absolutely, so I think, I think Women for Bernie was, was essentially a response to those, to those media stories. Okay. Well, listen, that was really interesting. Thank you so much. It's yeah. very interesting. In a lot of ways, I felt like watching the, watching the debate was pretty, my reaction was pretty relevant to other people's reactions in that the thing that I thought was the big moment, everybody else thought was the big moment. I think you were saying kind of other than that, there wasn't really a, a big thing that stood out. And I kind of thought it was a bit of a blah debate in terms of the policy conversation. Um, but all the interesting stuff happens within the supporters and what, what they're kind of, what they're fired up to do and, and, and bless them for it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, this election is just a popularity contest. Uh, if you really, if you really want to boil it down and and way oversimplify, it, it's just it's just a popularity contest. And there's no better way to see who's more popular than to see who's really making a splash about everything online. So that's until they open the polls, <laughs> exactly until they open up the polls. Uh, but I, I think some people would say that they don't even trust the polls anymore. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just good to, to be able to look at the conversations online, to see what people are saying. It kind of it definitely gives you uh, a direction in which people are going. Very interesting. Well, thank you for that. That was fascinating. Um, and uh, we'll talk again. Thank you so much. And that's it. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do rate and review it on your podcast listening platform of choice. As always, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Karen J-R. That's at K-A-R-I-N-J-R. Um, I'm always happy to hear feedback, recommendations, suggestions, thoughts, or even if you just want to tell me why you're in love with the candidate you're in love with, I would love to hear it. Please get in touch. If you have any questions, I will also try and answer them on the podcast. If you are an American listening to the sound of my voice and you haven't yet registered to vote or requested your absentee ballot, please, please do that now. Um, you can get your absentee ballot um, at votefromabroad.org if you're an American broad, like myself, or you can go to vote.org if you're back in the US. Thanks so much for listening as always. And I need to let you know that this podcast is not in, not affiliated with any organization or institution. Um, it's just me here um, do, doing my thing. Um, I will speak to you next Friday. Take care.